just a few years ago, in December of 2019, we were at the inception point of a pandemic whose origin was traced back to a, a lab in Wuhan, China. The virus that was unleashed from that lab was named COVID-19. I know it has many different names now, but that's what it was from the beginning. And COVID-19 caused acute respiratory problems that could terminate the life of that virus's host. You're all familiar with this. The question at the beginning was how bad is this going to get? From the beginning stages, it seemed to be getting increasingly worse. And we were wondering at the beginning, at the starting point, how bad is this really going to get? As of July 13, 2022, this year, there have been 557 million cases of people getting the COVID virus. And of those 557 million people, 6.35 million have died from this disease, making it one of the deadliest outbreaks in human history. Yet, with that being said, the effectiveness of the virus to cause harm to its host has diminished, especially over this last year. The worst, for this, this virus anyway, seems to be behind us. That's what we want to hear, isn't it? You don't want to go to the doctor and say, this is, he says, this is what you have and it's going to get worse. You go to the doctor because you want to hear, this is what you have, and here's how it's going to get better, right? No one wants bad news. But the issue is, what is reality? What is the real world that we live in when we consider the revelation of God? Here in Revelation chapter 8, there is a creature, an eagle or a vulture, flying high in the noonday sky, crying out that God's judgments will not diminish, but actually get worse. As they are carried out. They will go from striking the earth to now being more spiritual in nature, even demonic. So yes, it will go from bad to worse. Revelation chapter 8 Verse 13. Hear God's word as this is the preparation for the next trumpets to blow. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. Let's pray. Father, instruct our hearts now regarding what is taught here. What we need to prepare for. How we need to look to you in faith through all of it. Guide the teaching and preaching of the word, Lord. Open hearts and minds and enable all to receive it. To learn and to rightly apply it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The great challenge of mankind, the great challenge of mankind is whether wisdom comes from man or God. That is the great challenge of humanity, is whether wisdom comes from man or from God. This challenge is depicted in the earliest chapters of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. Through God's creative power, he creates everything for the man, even a wife, Eve, that they may know the joy of life through God's wisdom. God's wisdom is manifest through his word, hence God speaks and light comes forth. How? Why? We don't really understand. Like everything in God's creation, we can examine it and give our analysis, but as to its origin, we either honestly say we don't know because we weren't there at the beginning when God did all this, or uh, we ascribe to the creation godlike qualities, exalting it above the Creator, and say that it has always existed forever in this way. How would we know? How can we make such a claim? Are we gods? No, but we want to be. We want to be. That was the interpretation or the temptation in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, specifically verse 5 that came from the contrarian serpent. This is what it all hangs upon. He says to them, says to Eve specifically, for God knows that when you eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, knowing, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you know what the evil one is saying here? He is saying you will no longer need God's wisdom to understand right and wrong because you will be your own source of wisdom determining for yourself what is right from wrong. In the very next verse, verse 6, Eve changes her perspective of the tree. If you hold fast to the wisdom of God, you will leave this fruit alone. Like she says, we're not even to touch it. She understands that it is forbidden. She understands that it can bring forth death. That is the wisdom of God. And it can bring forth death because it can sever their relationship with God. And God is the source of all life. And so if she heeds the wisdom of God, she's going to leave it alone. But, but if you believe wisdom originates from the creation, the material world, then this fruit is most desirable. Because it has the power to make you wise apart from God. You don't need God anymore. All you need is yourself. Rather than destroy your life, it will illumine your life so that you will be your own God. This battle has been waging throughout human history. Let's stop at one marker. This is in Greek history. This is about the 5th century B.C. And uh, you hear the same counsel that the serpent gave the woman coming through the Greek sophist Protagoras. 
who taught that man is the measure of all things that originated with him. In which Protagoras is saying that each person's perception of reality is the ultimate authority. Each person's perception of reality is the ultimate authority. In this teaching, Protagoras is promoting subjectivism, which argues that uh, interpretation of reality is relative to the individual. And even in using the word relative here, we need to understand that this relativistic or relativism promotes the understanding that there is no final objective truth. There is no transcendent authority greater than man. The right understanding of of reality, of wisdom, originates then with man. Another Greek philosopher of this period, Plato, did not agree with Protagoras and searched for a transcendent source of wisdom to serve as the foundation for moral judgment instead of morals being subject to the ever-changing winds of human perspective. So Plato promoted an objectivism, which is the view that there is a greater reality which exists wholly independent of the mind, and there is only one correct or right description of reality whether we have knowledge of it or not because that reality is established by God himself. Plato was at least looking in the right direction reckoning that wisdom originated from a transcendent source even God. To just give one more highlight we'll we'll move forward to another point in history and give you another highlight through the ages, seeing this battle rage through the ages, consider the early 1700s when the Euro- a European philosoph- philosophical movement known as the Enlightenment was spanning the Atlantic Ocean and coming to the American colonies. The Enlightenment, or Age of Reg- Reason, was making its way here, uh, promoting... Uh, and emphasizing a particular scientific view of the world which downplays the Christian theological view of the world. Both views, scientific and theological, use logic or reason in order to draw their conclusions. And both also rely on faith as both are at least trusting in the counsel of those who have come before them. And even though the proponents of the Enlightenment era would say that they are free thinkers who can think for themselves and do not need the guidance of another, such as those religious types, you would beg to differ because a lot of their ideas come from those who have come before them, like Protagoras. Although the Christian appreciates the Enlightenment thinker's effort to illumine their minds through reason, the Christian believes that true illumination comes through the counsel, the revelation of God in nature and his written word. A a scripture passage comes to mind. I'd ask that you turn your Bibles to John 8, 31 through 36. See if the dialogue here sounds a little bit familiar. John 8, 31 through 36. Jesus is speaking to the Jews who are listening to his message and and, uh, affirming it. And Jesus says, If you hold to my teaching you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? 
Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. He's talking about this world. You have no permanent place in the presence of God and God's provided creation. So there's going to be a time when if you are still a slave to sin, that your time will be up and you will be cast out. You will no longer belong or stay within God's provision. So he says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This highlights why Jesus even came into this world, was to set us free from the bondage of sin and death and secure our place with him in glory forever. But what does it mean to be free or even a free thinker? Many in the Enlightenment era saw themselves as free thinkers. Were they? What does it mean to be free and a free thinker? Jesus talks about being free from ignorance regarding what is real, especially regarding spiritual things. Connected to this is the matter of being set free from the power of sin, which deludes our understanding of reality. Dr. James Boyce wrote these words considering this situation. He writes, A man who does not know the teachings of the Word of God cannot thrive spiritually. A man who does not know the fundamental truths of the Christian faith cannot come to Jesus for salvation. The really upsetting thing about this situation, however, is that many persons who are not knowledgeable about Christian truth and who are therefore bound by their ignorance are nonetheless unaware that they are ignorant and so resist any attempt to help them to become free. They are like stubborn children. No one blames a child for not knowing all that an adult knows, but at least one expects a child to be willing to learn. If he is not willing, something is wrong. And Boyce says many persons are like this spiritually. So herein we come back to the belief of where wisdom, the right understanding of reality, originates with man or with God. When the ideas of the Enlightenment hit the shores of the American colonies, it threatened to divide and conquer an already divided church. But God called his servant, his angel, to blow the trumpet. I think we sometimes look at, at, at the book of Revelation and we want to see it all literal, all the way through, but much of it is symbolic. It's symbolic because it's using the physical to, to symbolize what's going on spiritually in this world and in the heavens. And here you, you ask, you know, why, why would we need an awakening in this country? Because the first four trumpets, they were, they were blasted by the angels to, to sound the alarm and to awaken those who were falling asleep, those who were, who were becoming complacent and falling away from the Lord. The blast of the trumpet was to waken them up and say, there's, there's a battle here that's being raged. Are you in it? Are you engaged? Do you not see it or, or have you already been taken prisoner? Are you already a captive to it? Are you awake? Are you alert? Are you noticing what's going on in your day? So that clarion call 
is, is, is blasted. But when you look at Revelation 1, who are the angels? There's seven angels. There's seven angels here in Revelation 8 and 9 and so forth. But there are also seven angels in Revelation chapter 1. And each angel is responsible for one of the seven churches. And it shows the, shows the picture that those angels are in that setting are either overseers or, or, or pastors, bishops, whatever you want to call us, who are watching over the flock of Christ Jesus. And they're declaring the truth of what is going on in a society or in a world where they are sore oppressed, strengthening that which is there and correcting that which needs to be corrected because of sin. But they're calling out, and we see this in the first great awakening. The first great awakening in this country emphasized John Calvin's teaching. No, not Arminianism. No, not Pentecostalism. John Calvin's teaching of the Word. Trumpeted through Jonathan Edwards, to be sure, but also George Whitfield and others, whom God used to bring about a spiritual awakening with many coming into the kingdom of Christ and the renewal of the church in America at a time when it was steadily declining. And God worked through this movement to reintroduce ideas that would be worked into American culture for many years to come. That's why the, the, the primer for young kids in school was Proverbs, to teach the virtues of God's word, of, of morality, because that was more important, and I've made this statement before, that was more important to them than learning English or arithmetic or anything else. That can be learned later on. But understanding how you treat each other, how you, how you are to conduct yourself in relationship to your neighbor and to your God was of utmost importance. That came through, the, through God working through the Great Awakening before the Revolution. So this movement came through the, under, the understanding that God is the source of all wisdom and we are called to proclaim the full counsel of God, especially Christ Jesus, the power of God and the wisdom of God. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1, looking at verse 18 following, you see that wisdom looks different depending on your perspective. Wisdom looks different depending on what perspective you have of it. From the perspective of those who believe wisdom originates with them, the preaching of Christ crucified is foolishness. From the perspective of those who believe wisdom originates with God, the idea that you would reject the wisdom of God which is revealed and how he would reconcile you to himself by offering his righteous and holy son as a sacrifice for your sin is foolish from the Christian perspective. It's frustrating. Why would you do it? If God gives his only begotten son to save you from your sins, why would you not receive it? To us, we can't figure it out. But that is the power of sin to delude us, to deceive us. If wisdom originates from ourselves, we don't need the wisdom of God. Not only in understanding, but in salvation. Well, these views are obviously contrary to each other because from either side, the other is perceived as ignorant and in need of illumination. Even though the trumpet blows, calling upon the sleepers to awaken and the wicked to forsake their ways and turn to the Lord who will abundantly pardon, 
this contrary situation will continue to the very end. So here we are in Revelation 8, verse 13. There is a declaration that this battle that has continued throughout the generations is going to come to a close. And the, and the, the trumpet blast that's calling upon people to repent and turn to the Lord, to awaken from their deception, from their delusions, and turn to the Lord. That trumpet call is now turning from a, from a trumpet blast to repent to a trumpet blast that judgment is coming. That's why the woes are pronounced. John sees a great eagle flying in mid-heaven, which is considered the highest point of the sky where the sun is positioned in its relationship to the earth at, at midday. In the scriptures such as Deuteronomy 28 verse 49, Jeremiah 4 verse 13, and especially Hosea 8 verse 1, the eagle is presented as a symbol of Im- impending judgment. Hosea 8.1 says, Put the trumpet to your lips, an eagle is over the house of the Lord, because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my law. The judgment is coming from the heavens down to the earth, and the emphasis goes from God's judgment upon mankind through nature to lead people to repentance to God's divine judgment upon the unrepentant. Hence, we are transitioning here from God's divine warnings to demonic woes. Because what's coming is spiritual. What's coming is demonic. Hence, the eagle cries out, Woe! 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 To those who dwell on the earth, this woe is to the third and highest degree. To pronounce a woe is to proclaim the coming of great misery, great sorrow and tribulation. To pronounce a woe to the highest degree represents the supreme greatness of these trials, of these judgments that are going to unfold. And it brings me back again to the words of Dr. Boyce. A man who does not know the teachings of the Word of God cannot thrive spiritually. A man who does not know the fundamental truths of the Christian faith cannot come to Jesus for salvation. The really upsetting thing, and I feel this. Do you feel this? The really upsetting thing about this situation is that many persons who are not knowledgeable about Christian truth, maybe they read just enough of the Bible to inoculate themselves from it, to justify their position. They go to the Old Testament and they show how God judged people through, uh, judged other nations through His own people. How they slaughtered men, women, and children, un- not understanding the context. And what, what the real situation is going on there. They, they choose certain passages to justify themselves. But they're not knowledgeable about Christian truth. And therefore they're bound by their ignorance. And unaware that they're ignorant. And so because they're unaware that they're ignorant, they resist any attempt to help them to become free. How do we live in a world like that? These seven churches lived under threat of persecution because they were not the ones in power. They were not the ones in control. 
The Romans were. And their lives were threatened each and every day. Their faith was threatened each and every day. Even though they had the truth, even though they were the ones who understood reality because they were seeking wisdom that comes from God. They recognized and acknowledged that wisdom comes from God. And that there's a greater plan that's being unveiled here. The frustrating thing had to be when they're talking to a neighbor or maybe a cousin or a brother or sister, maybe parents. Do you not see that God sent His Son into this world to save us? And they say, you're foolish. We understand what is true. Caesar is God in our eyes. The state is the ultimate authority in our eyes. And they've taken good care of us. And we've been blessed along the way with riches and esteem. That is the way of wisdom. What do you do when you're at that impasse? We are called to preach the gospel, the good news to all people, but pray, pray, pray. As you think about the woes, these are real. Judgment is really coming. And that judgment is eternal. How do you stand against it in this world? You, you fight against it, but you pray. As we just started off this service, God is our fortress. God is our might. And it's His wisdom, His power that transforms people's hearts. There's no way you and I can do it ourselves. But we can be vessels. We can be His vessels through which His power works and is poured out and opens the eyes of the blind so that they can actually see that what's they, that which they once held to, that which they once thought was foolishness. And now they cling to the wisdom of God, even to Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. Pray. Pray for the lost. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for this community. Pray for this world. That God would save more and draw them into His kingdom so that they might know the joy of His wisdom in life that is everlasting. The only way things get better is through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, because He is the author of life and grace. And He can accomplish it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're reminded of how when we look at our history books, there are several groups who have claimed that they will make life better, that they have the utopic perspective in mind. And that utopic perspective is devoid of your wisdom. And the further along they go down this path, the worse it gets. Because you are the source of life and true wisdom. Lord, help us not to shrink back, no matter how loud the culture roars at us, no matter how much pressure is applied to us, 
Give us the grace and strength to stand our ground, even in times of great trouble. Lord, help us to declare your truth, your wisdom, your good news, so that people may be saved and that our culture and communities, our families, might grow in grace and become better instead of worse. We thank you for your patience with us. Help us to be patient as well with those who are lost that you might save some or even many through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.